You are listening to the Riverside Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at www.riversideconnect.org. Well, good morning, everyone. Good to be with you this morning. As you see, we are beginning a new sermon series. This, this week, for the month, we're talking about the bigger picture, performing God's will on earth. The bigger picture. It's not about you, right? It's about what we can do to help make our world a better place. And before I get into the message, let me just begin by thanking those of you and all of you, really, for your love and support. Uh, my wife's father passed away a week ago, uh, Friday, and uh, so we were not able to be here last week. And uh, so many of you have expressed your care and concern, and we're thankful for that. Uh, wishing I could have been here last Sunday after the horrible events to help grieve with you and with those in our city who are still reeling from the horrible events that took place a week ago Saturday. Um, Teresa's dad, can I just take a moment and share a little bit about him? He was a humble guy. Um, he born and raised in Pikeville, Kentucky, never had much money, was one of 11 children. When he was nine years old, his mother died giving birth to twins. The twins also died, and then he was uh, motherless uh, until he was off to college. His father eventually remarried and had several more kids. But, um, you know, he was a very bright guy, smart guy, graduated from high school at 16, got his associate's degree at 18, and uh, worked his whole life just as a production manager in manufacturing companies, international harvesters till they shut down, and Raytheon, Magnavox, and uh, never worked long enough in a place to get a pension, never had a lot of money, but yet he never complained. Ward Craft was the most generous man. Um, he was the kind of guy that when uh, he could do most everything himself, but when he had to hire uh, somebody to come and do some work around the house, uh, he would not only pay them what he, they had agreed to, he would give them more, just saying, you know you did a great job. Here, take more. Uh, he was generous to us, though they didn't have much. Every time we visited, especially when we were young and newly married and, and dirt poor ourselves, we'd leave the house and he'd clear out his pantry and fill our with all kinds of paper products and canned goods like we were going to starve without his help. But that's just the way he showed his love. His granddaughter, who is now a new mother, um, was three years old, um, Teresa's brother's daughter, when she had an 18-month-old little brother um, when her mother died of cancer. And Teresa's parents sold their house, quit their jobs, moved in with them for two years. And in the funeral service, Kristen mentioned that when our house, when our lives had fallen apart, that her grandma and grandpa gave up everything to help put our worlds back together again. Today I want to talk about how God's looking for people. He's looking for volunteers to get on board with God's mission of help repairing the world, putting the world back together again. You know, there's a Jewish concept. It's called tikkun olam. And it literally means world repair. 
The notion in the Jewish world of tikkun olam is that of repairing the world through acts of human kindness. And it implies that every person, each of us, has a hand toward working toward the betterment of not only our own existence, but the existence of our future generations. The idea of tikkun olam forces people to take ownership of their world because they believe that it's people, not God, who's going to bring the world back to its original state of holiness. It's important for Jews to participate in repairing the world by doing acts of justice and righteousness, which they call tzedakah. And then they also do acts of loving kindness. And all of this is to help fulfill the mitzvot, the commandments that's listed in the Talmud for them to help bring healing to a broken world. The members of the Tree of Life Synagogue believe that one way they could help repair the world is by assisting refugees, people who are fleeing war and people fleeing famine and persecution. You know, in the Christian world, there's basically two streams of thought or two worldviews about how the world is going to be repaired. One view, one worldview is that the world is just going to get worse and worse and worse until it's so bad that Jesus is going to come back and rescue us and make the world right again. And so in the meantime, we as Christians just need to hunker down, protect ourselves, provide for our own, and wait and hold on until Jesus comes back and makes the world right. That, in my opinion, is a small picture because it's all about us. Another, the bigger picture in the Christian world is this, that yes, the world is fallen. It is broken by sin, greed, hate, evil of every kind. But when Jesus came, he conquered Satan's power and he ushered in a new way of thinking, a new way of living that he called the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. When he said, the kingdom of heaven is upon you. And this new kingdom that he established through the power of the Holy Spirit, would grow like a mustard seed and spread throughout the world, and the gates of hell would not be able to prevail against it. This world would be renewed, and it would be repaired by the power of the Holy Spirit working through Spirit-filled believers and followers of Jesus who were willing to get on board with his mission to repair the world. And yes, Jesus will come back someday, and all will be made right. But in the meantime, we are all about God's mission for the bigger picture. It's not about you. It's not about us. We need to be a part of fulfilling the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray. God, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And when we are all in for Jesus, we're going to see the bigger picture, that picture of God's will being done on earth. Because that's what we're talking about here over this year is how to be all in, how to love God with all of our heart, all of our soul, and all of our mind, all of our strength. And so today I want to see how some of our ancestors, some of the early church learned how to be all in for the bigger picture. But before we do that, I want us to pray together the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray. And um, we'll put the words up for us. It's a little modern, more of a modern version. But would you stand together with me? Would we make us make this our prayers? And if you feel comfortable, just, just hold your hands out. 
And let's pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours now and forever. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Your will be done on earth as in heaven. On earth as in heaven. How do you suppose God's going to answer that prayer if he teaches us to pray it? How, what do you think God's plan A is for God's will to be done on earth as in heaven? And are you a part of God's plan A? Because I believe God's plan A is to use God's people to bring healing and to help repair a broken world. And to be honest, I don't think God has a plan B. We are it. We are God's plan to help repair the world. Generosity is the way in which we are going to do this. We can repair the world. You can repair the world by your generosity. We want to talk about that today. And here's the thing. A lot of people think, well, I can't be generous because I'm not rich. But you know, you don't have to be rich to be generous. Remember the story about Jesus and the widow and the people were putting their alms, putting their, their offerings in. And the one who just, the widow, the poor widow, just put a little bit in. And Jesus said, she gave more than the rest because she gave everything she had. Generosity isn't measured by how much you have to give. It's measured by what you do with what you have. What do you do with what God has blessed you? There's, there's two types of people in the world. There are takers and givers. There are greedy people and generous people. Greedy people are those who have a scarcity mindset. They live with this sense that, oh my, I need more. I gotta accumulate more. I gotta hold on to what I have because someday I could lose it. And they live in fear and they peddle fear. They traffic in fear. They're, they're the kind of people like the thief that Jesus said would come and steal and kill and destroy. And as we live with this greed mindset, it's all about me and it's all about taking and holding on. But generous people, those who repair the world, have an abundance mindset. They, they, they're the ones that experience the reality of Jesus's words that he hasn't come like the thief to steal, kill, and destroy, but he came what? That we would have life and have it more abundantly or have it to the full. And those who really understand that get, get the idea that, you know what? My life, it, I might not have the biggest house. I might not drive. I might be dirt poor, but I am filled with the love and the, and, 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 the, and the blessings of God. And I can be a generous person with no matter what I have. I've known people that, are, have, that have nothing and are more generous than the people that have so much money and what they give away, they don't even miss. The world is made up of these types of people. Takers never have enough. Givers always have more to give. Takers live in scarcity. Givers live with a sense of abundance. And God has blessed me to bless others. And so I want to take a look at our text today. It's found in 2 Corinthians, Paul's second letter to the Corinthian church. If you have your scripture, I invite you to turn there. If you have the, the Riverside app, you can pull up my notes. If you want to follow along, 
you can do that. But uh, the, the key text is in the middle of the, the, cha- the ninth chapter of 2 Corinthians. And, uh, and this is what, what he writes to these people. And I'll explain why he's writing to them. But he says this, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will reap generously. Each of you should give whatever you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor and their righteousness endures forever. He is writing to them because he invites them to be a part of repairing the world of the Jerusalem believers. Corinth is in Greece. It's one of the places that Paul evangelized, one of the wealthier parts of Greece. It's on a trade route. There was um, uh, a lot of problems in the church there, but they did have wealth. And he's writing to them. And he's inviting them to be a part of this process of helping the poor believers in Jerusalem. Why were the believers in Jerusalem poor? Because they were believers in Jerusalem. That's why they were poor. In other words, if you were a follower of this resurrected Messiah called Jesus, you were ostracized. You were out. You were not able to get a job. You were not able to associate in society because of your faith and because they were so convinced that their view of the Messiah was such that anyone that viewed things otherwise didn't belong. And so the people who became believers, and you remember Paul himself was one of the ones, the chief persecutor before he was converted. And, and under his persecution, many of the believers scattered. But you can see, even in the early church in Jerusalem, the problem of poverty, because even in Acts, it talks about when, they, when, they, when the people became believers and the church grew exponentially, 3,000 and more and more were added to their numbers. They had to take care of the poor among them. And so those who had land, like Bar, uh, Barnabas, sold it, gave it to others. They shared it. They had to elect deacons to help distribute it among the widows and orphans who were poor. So poverty was, was just the way of being a believer in Jerusalem. You know, there's a theology out there that teaches if you believe Jesus, he can make you rich. You know, that you do the right things, you give the right money to the right people, and God will, you know, it's like putting money in a slot machine, and you pull the trigger, and you know, you pull the handle, and you're going you're gonna to get blessed by God. Uh, there are a lot of wonderful, fantastic people that are dirt poor. Does God love them? You bet your life he does. Does God care about them? Of course he does. Those who have need to help those who don't. This is what was happening here. Paul is helping these people understand we are going to support the mother church. We're going to support the mother city. And, and these people who are dirt poor, we have an obligation. In fact, in Acts chapter 15, when Paul and Barnabas came back from reaching the Gentiles and they had their big meeting, their big council in Jerusalem about should they be circumcised? Should they become Jewish? Should they not? They were allowed to remain remain. Gentiles in their culture, 
But one of the things that they were told by Peter, James, and John, the leaders of the church in Jerusalem, to Paul and to Barnabas, it says, but whenever you go out into the Gentiles, please remember the poor. Remember the poor. And he said, that's what I want to do. We are glad to do that. That's part of what it means to be a follower of God, is to remember the poor. And so he writes to them at the end of 1 Corinthians 16. This is what he writes um, in his first letter. In chapter 16, he says, now about the collection for the Lord's people. I jumped ahead for a second here. This is the thing. I want to get this thought across, and so I want to repeat it again. We repair the world through our generosity. Can you say that with me? We repair the world through our generosity. I want to talk about the qualities of a world repairer, the qualities of a generous person. Number one, a generous person is strategic. Strategic. A strategic giver is intentional. They're proactive. He or she plans how much to give and where to give. They're they're purposeful about what they do. They're strategic. Now, this is what he writes at the end of 1 Corinthians chapter 16. He says, now about the collection for the Lord's people... You know, his second letter is is a follow-up to what he tells them in the first letter. Now, about the collection for the Lord's people, do what I told the Galatian churches to do. On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income, saving it up, so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. Then, when I arrive, I will give letters of introduction to the man and approve, you approve, and send them with your gift to Jerusalem. In other words, I won't take the money. I don't want to be the one that's going to be accused of mismanaging the money. You will select the people that you will send with your money to deliver it to the people in Jerusalem. Notice what we see in this. They are told to set aside a little bit every week. Just be strategic. Be purposeful about this. Make sure that you are, are, are not going to, I'm going to come and then you're going to have to dig deep and you don't have anything to give. Let's just do this. Put whatever you decide strategically a little bit every week to do that. And so strategic giving is, is just one of the ways that people give. Another way that people give is spontaneously, Right? They give spontaneously. It's like you see a need, you see the person maybe on the street that's needing help and you spontaneously help. You, you hear a good uh, uh, message, you get a good need, you see a, uh, an emergency, maybe a disaster, the hurricane hits, you see. And so I will give spontaneously because I see a need and I feel compelled to give to that need. And that's fantastic to be able to give spontaneously when you see the need to do that. A lot of people, though, that's all they do. They wait until they have to be inspired to give. They got to feel guilty enough to be able to give. They got to feel like they have to give to be able to give, or they just feel when they have to have the urge to give. Strategic people are people that say, you know what? I'm going to give off the top. I'm going to give whatever God, and Bridget mentioned that. I, Teresa and I both, 
from the very earliest times we were married, when we had no money, we couldn't pay our bills, we always gave to God first. We took 10% of what we brought home and we said, God, this is going to be yours. And we gave and we've given over the years and we've never stopped and we've never regretted it. And, and so many of you do that electronically. You give, you, you say, okay, I'm going to just make sure this is what my income is. This is what I'm going to do. And you give electronically and it just comes out and you don't even think about it. And I applaud that. That's strategic giving. Or maybe you just write the check every month or write the check every week. God bless you for doing that because by doing that, you're helping to repair the world. You, through your giving to Riverside, are helping with not only what we do here to help people find and follow Jesus, through the partnerships that we have around the world, you are helping in your way of your generosity to do what you can to help repair the world. You are a world repairer. So we give spontaneously, we give strategically, but we can also give sacrificially. And that's, that's the kind of giving that you go above and beyond. It's something where you say, I know that by giving this, I'm not going to be able to get that for myself. If I do this for that person, I'm going to have to do without something for myself. If I give one day's wages to the people that are, are, are being fed around the world, then I just might not be able to buy that new wardrobe or whatever. I might not be able to buy those new shoes or whatever it is you want to, or I might not be able to do this. I might not be able to go out and go out to dinner for a couple weeks. I might not be able to do whatever. You know what I mean? That doesn't even sound like a sacrifice, does it? It really doesn't. And yet we think one day's wages, oh my goodness. And look at what it does. We get to do this. We help repair the world. Here in the passage that I read earlier in 2 Corinthians, he says, each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give. Give strategically. Think about it. Figure out how you can help repair the world. So a, a generous person, a world repairer, is a strategic giver. A generous person is a cheerful giver. A cheerful giver. Now, I know I know what you're thinking. Really, pastor? Cheerfully? Come on. I mean, I'll give because I know I should. And as a good Christian, I have to give, so I'll give. And, you know, all right, but it's a little painful to do this. I'll give when I'm feeling guilty enough. I'll give when I'm feeling somebody's looking over my shoulder. I, I'll give if I think I'm going to get blessed in return. I'll give when I feel obligated. But please don't ask me to do it cheerfully. This, perhaps, is the most perplexing thing for new believers and for many old believers. For someone who's immersed with a scarcity mindset, to give generously from your heart with joy, it, this, when that person is able to do that, there is no greater proof of their conversion than when somebody can give generously with a cheerful heart. Because I think so often our wallets are the last thing to get converted in our lives. But when you can do that, what a change it is in your life. Paul, earlier in this chapter, the beginning of chapter 9 here in 2 Corinthians, he commends the Corinthians. 
And he says to them, you know, there's no need for me to write to you about this service to the Lord's people, for I know your eagerness to help. I've been boasting about you to the Macedonians and telling them that since last year, you and Achaia were ready to give and your enthusiasm has stirred most of them to action. In other words, I brag about you to the other churches and because of what you do, other people are doing it and getting involved. So I'm so glad that you are eager to get about God's mission of helping repair the world. You know what's so cool? I'm going to boast right now, if you don't mind. This one day to feed the world, if you're new to Riverside, if you're new in the past few years, this is something that we helped to start. It is a national movement. We were one of the first churches to do this. I was on a trip with Convoy of Hope to Macedonia, actually, uh, uh, to, to an outreach to a gypsy population where I went and I saw firsthand what Convoy of Hope does. And this was basically a uh, one-day blessing kind of a thing. It wasn't a feeding program. And they hadn't really been doing many feeding programs. They had just maybe had one place in Kenya where they started to partner with a Christian church and a Christian school right on the edge of the Mathari uh, slums in, in, in Nairobi. And um, uh, so I was exposed to that. And then I, 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 one of the other pastors on the trip told me that, and he's from California, he told me that he came up with this idea and he challenges people to give one day's offering to help feed the poor through Convoy of Hope. And that was the first time I heard, and there was another guy, a pastor in Cincinnati, uh, who was with me at that point. And we looked at each other and we said, we can do that. And so that next Thanksgiving, we did it. What we did caught on with Convoy. They said, oh, maybe we can help promote this to other churches. And so they came and they interviewed several of you. They did a lot of promotion through our church, through me and helping them to promote it to other pastors. And now because of what you've done, this is something that has spread nationwide and even across uh, the borders of our country. Churches are doing one day to feed the world offerings. And because of that, their feeding programs have grown for just a few thousand kids to 170,000 kids a day in the context of a church. I applaud you. I applaud you because we have always seen, and a lot of pastors say, well, if people do that, they'll take from their regular giving. They'll just take from their tithes and we can't afford to lose our tithes. And I have found that many people giving to one day is their first real gift and they give it and they realize, oh, it didn't kill me. Oh, it wasn't so bad. Oh, maybe I can do this. And a lot of people begin giving regularly after they do the one day to feed the world offering. And I challenge you, if you do the one day to feed the world offering, which I will challenge you to do, and I am challenging you to do, it is a, it is a sacrificial above and beyond offering. Do not take it from your regular giving. And we have found that over the years, that's what you have done. And I thank you for that. I thank you. But look at what we get to do. Look at what we get to do and how we have spurred on so many others to do this. A generous person, a world repairer, gives strategically, also spontaneously and sacrificially. They give cheerfully. They're generous people. 
And then here's another thing. People who are world repairers, people who are generous people, they're secure. They're secure people. They live with that sense of abundance. They don't live in fear. They don't live in, in this hoarding kind of mentality. Notice what he says. Again, we read it earlier in verses 8 and 9 of 2 Corinthians 9. He says, and God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Notice, abound. Oh, then I'm going to get rich. No, you'll abound in every good work, and meaning your life will just be abundant in all that you do, and you'll be a rich person. Ward Craft was not a rich person, but he was well-loved. And he was rich in so many ways because he was a giver. He abounded with generosity. And so we're secure. Paul's not teaching if you give to God, God's obligated to pay you back 10 times or 100 times more. He is saying, however, that if you are generous toward others, God is going to take care of you. God will bless you. I do believe there is a principle of you reap what you sow. And then he, 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 he quotes here from a passage in Psalms, one of David's Psalms. I think it was David's Psalms, one of the Psalms, when he says, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor, their righteousness. So I looked up that Psalm, Psalm 112. And it is an amazing psalm. And if you, if you have your Bible, I invite you to bookmark that. Psalm 112 is extolling the blessings of those who are about repairing the world by fulfilling the mitzvot, the, those commandments that are in the Talmud, the commandments of Scripture. I just want to read it. Listen to this psalm. It's beautiful. Praise the Lord, it begins. Blessed are those who fear the Lord, who find great delight Notice the joy, the delight in his commands. Their children will be mighty in the land. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Wealth and riches are in their houses and their righteousness endures forever. Even in darkness, light dawns for the upright, for those who are gracious and compassionate and righteous. Good will come to those who are generous and lend freely, conduct their affairs with justice. Surely the righteous will never be shaken. They will be remembered forever. They will have no fear of bad news. Their hearts are steadfast, trusting in the Lord. Their hearts are secure. They will have no fear. And in the end, they will look in triumph on their foes. They have freely scattered their gifts to the poor and their righteousness endures forever. Their horn will be lifted high in honor. The wicked will see it and they'll be vexed. They'll gnash their teeth and waste away. The longings of the wicked will come to nothing. Isn't that amazing? I love that song. Those who are generous, world repairers, have nothing to fear. Nothing to fear. Because my life is about the greatest mission on earth. The mission that God has to bring healing to a broken world. To repair a wounded world. We're about that. Are you about that? We're about that. We get to be about that as a community of faith, as one of many communities of faith. We worship the way we worship. Other churches worship the way they worship. Even other religions worship maybe the way they worship. But we are all about helping repair the world. 
because that's God's mission on earth. And so I repair the world through my generosity. I get to, I get to. And I am generous when I give strategically, when I give spontaneously, when I give sacrificially. I'm gonna ask the communion service to prepare and the band to come and prepare. Here's the thing about generosity when we think that God's lucky to have us. Um, you know, we can give nothing unless God has first given it to us. Anything we have was a blessing from God. Well, I earned it. I worked for it. I, get, I went to school or I worked hard on my job. Or I, yeah, 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 yeah. How many of those kids would love to have your life? How many of those children would love to be able to live in a place where they could have the freedom and the support and the ability, the health? People that are caught in extreme poverty and systemic sin, systemic injustice, Do you think that we were blessed for a reason? Do you think God gave you your mind, your abilities, your hard work, your work ethic, your ability to make a... Do you think God gave you that for a reason? Of course he did. Of course he did. Is it because he loves you more? Is it because you're more special? Is it because you deserve it more? Absolutely not. Anything we have is a gift from God. Chapter 8, the previous chapter, the whole, all of chapter 8 and chapter 9 are about this offering. In the middle of chapter 8, he says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. Rich in what? Rich in what? Rich in God's grace, his mercy, his love, his forgiveness, life, eternal life, hope, a future. Christ emptied himself and died as a pauper, naked, on a cross to show you how much God loves you. Are you rich? You bet your life you are. And whatever you have was given to you by God. So anything we do is simply in response to a God who is far more generous than you or I could ever be. We will never outgive God and we are never more like God than when we give and help repair the world by our generosity. For God so loved the world that he gave the essence of love. How do we love God with all our heart, all our soul, all our mind, all our strength? We love God by loving God's children.
all the little children of the world. Would you bow your heads with me, please? God, we know the enemy wants us to live in fear. Wants us to hunker down and just think of ourselves. He wants to steal and kill and destroy. But you came to give us an abundant life, a full, full life, a joyful life, a generous life. God, in this moment, we want to pray for our broken world. We pray for our broken community. So many people who are suffering because of the evil of this thief who came to steal and kill and destroy. We won't let him win. We won't let hate win. God, we pray for those who live with extreme poverty and battle systemic injustice and the consequences of hate and greed. We are so blessed to live where we live and to be born where we were born. We pray for our broken world. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And may we be a part of your will on earth until we get to heaven. God, I pray not only for our broken world, I pray for broken souls. And, I, and, 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 and I'm talking about people who might even have a lot and yet their souls are just empty because they've bought into this spirit of fear and scarcity and they're soulless, they're empty, they're, there's no joy. I pray, God, for you to break through that and set us free. I pray, God, for a spirit of joyful generosity to just fill our hearts and fill our minds and pray for those who struggle with giving cheerfully God that you would just set us free from that I pray for those who bought into the monster of more and their lives are out of control and their finances are out of control because their eyes are bigger than their pocketbooks I pray Lord for those who need transformed in every area of their life. God, as we gather together today and we prepare to receive the elements of your bread, your body, and your, your blood, <clears throat> it reminds us of the, the generosity of a God who loved us so much that he would do that for us. So God, as we prepare to receive what you have to give us, fill our hearts, I pray overflowing. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Riverside Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at www.riversideconnect.org.